Okay, go ahead and take out your Bibles, and we'll be in Exodus chapter 20. We have finished studying the Ten Commandments. Took us 11 weeks. Actually, it took us 13 weeks. You're like, why? Because Easter was in there, and I was gone for two weeks, so yeah, took us a while. Today's sermon is called An Altered Mindset, but I was, I had a more creative title that I will inform you of, and you can vote on which title you like better. The second title is Where Underwear Came From. So who likes an altered mindset? And who likes Where Underwear Came From? All right, so see, honey, I was right. (laughs) I wasn't, that was not for you guys. That was just for, I love you. So we'll learn about where underwear came from at the towards the end. So if you've ever wondered, I know probably none of you ever have, but we're going to learn today. Let's uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we ask that it would uh, rip into our very soul and help us to just be healed and transformed by your love, by your grace, and all that you have done for us. Amen. Amen. So take a deep breath. We finished studying the Ten Commandments. That was a lot, I know. It was the the law. It was the list of rules that God gave his people. You know, these ten rules that show what God is like. You know, it shows what perfection looks like, these ten rules. In fact, if perfection were to be born in Bethlehem a couple thousand years later, this is what he would look like. Jesus. These Ten Commandments are just a picture of what Jesus would do if he was a person, which he did become a person. That's how we were able to identify Jesus as being God and being the Messiah. His behavior is unlike any human that has ever been born. Nobody even ever argues that the Ten Commandments are wrong. Do you ever hear people see people picketing saying, no more Ten Commandments, no more being nice to each other? No, right? They... Right, they do all kinds of other stuff, but nearly everybody actually kind of agrees with the ten. Yeah, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't steal, you know. But these Ten Commandments cause a really big problem. They cause a big problem um, because in these Ten Commandments, we get to know how selfish, evil, and wrong we are. That's right, you could finish that sentence, right? We are. The light gets shined on us. There's no more hiding. I didn't know is not an excuse that's allowed anymore. Now everybody knows and everybody is guilty. The law measured each one of us and found us 10 times too short. You know, we don't just fall short. We're completely opposite of God's goodness. Even if we agree with the law and we try our best, our lives stand in opposition once they're measured against God's perfect law, saying, uh, in the end, you basically broke everything. Because if we break one law, you break them all. It means you are a lawbreaker. You don't obey God's law perfectly. You are a lawbreaker. So the law is not good news. The law is not good news. What is the law? Not good news. So what does the word gospel mean? Good news. And the law is not good news. So it's the opposite of the gospel. It's the opposite. The law does not bring any good news to you at all. It's God's holy standard. It's not wrong. We didn't say the law was wrong. We just said the law was not good news. In fact, it's very right. It's serious business with serious penalties, but it's not good news. These Ten Commandments were not given to save people, ever. That was never the intention, but instead to show them their need for a Savior, right? Okay, so now... The Bible, we've just been reading in the Bible where the Ten Commandments were given. 
And now we're going to study with the verses that immediately follow, immediately follow. Last week was just verse 17, which was, you should not covet, right? The last commandment. And now the, immediately, God is going to start talking about something different. He's going to start talking about his own grace and the good news that he provides for his people. This is amazing. So let's look at chapter uh, 20, verse 18 first. We'll start there. We're just going to go verse by verse through this section and see what God reveals to us and teaches us. It says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the flashing, lightning flashes, the sound of a trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood far off. What do you hear? What do you do, excuse me, when you hear not good news? Someone calls you on the phone. I got bad news. What do they tell you to do? Sit down, right? Why? Right? Because you're probably going to fall down because it's going to knock, knock you over. Okay? Fall down, right? Uh, they, we tremble when we hear bad news. I got good news and I got bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? Really? Let's vote. Good news, people? <laughs> Two. And you? You like good news? Okay. And bad news first, people? You guys are so cynical. <laughs> oh my goodness. What? That's crazy. I'm with the good news people. I'm on your team. Let's go. Let's find out what's good, right? Well, the Bible actually agrees with you. Bad news people. They gave the law first. And then it's going to give us good news following it. So let's see here. Um, but look at what happened here. Hollywood directors would be impressed with how God sets the scene or the soundtrack for this moment. Did you catch that? There's thunderings. I mean, thunder will drop you where you're at. Like, you ever been just like, mind your own business, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, <gasps> that was the worst thunder impression of all time. But bleh, that's what it does inside my brain, bleh, right? It's, it's just, it will crush. I mean, I'll be like, oh, and I'll be like, did you hear that? And everyone's like, yes, we were right here. We heard that, right? You know, and then it says lightning flashes, okay, right? And then uh, the sound of a trumpet, that's really actually supernaturally relevant and uh, that was a trumpet sound from heaven. This was not a normal trumpet sound. God was blowing a trumpet at this point, very supernatural. We'll get into that another time. But the literal Hebrew for the lightning flashes is this, fireballs. <laughs> I love that. So like fireballs were shooting at them. So imagine, we're getting the Ten Commandments. There's thunder. There's a trumpet. And then there's fireball shooting at you. And that's the scene for receiving the Ten Commandments. You know, so what if people, of course they're going to tremble and stand far off. That's what it says here. They're like, this was a bad idea. We should have stayed in Egypt, right? God, his holiness, his glory, his power are all being revealed to these people. This is crazy. And it made them back up like you can just imagine like the person who just stole something from his neighbor being like um i'm afraid that this lightning is actually going to strike me the fireball you remember in hunger games when the fireballs were like shooting at her anyway that's what i picture people being scared of like thunderball like it made it didn't make them draw near the Ten Commandments, the law, did not cause a single person to draw near to God. That is so important for us to understand. I wish my relationship with God was just so, was so much closer than it is right now. I want to be closer to the Lord. So, you know, I'm going to try my best to what? To keep the law. <gasps> that doesn't work. It doesn't draw you closer. It makes you back up because the law does nothing except remind you of how far you fall short of God's standard. There's nothing inviting about the law. 
Have you ever seen one of those um, contortionists that can fit themselves into a like glass box that's like this big? I was going to try to do that on stage, but you're welcome. You're welcome. I don't always make good decisions, but when I do. The law is like an invitation to say, hey, let's try to fit you into this box that you could never fit into. The law is, that's how inviting the law is. It's, it's an invitation to an impossible relationship. I cannot keep the law. I am wicked. I am broken. I'm evil. So how could I, why is this inviting? Why do I want to be a part of this? These people are really questioning right now, what is going on? What did I get myself into? And you know what? A lot of Christians, once they learn about Jesus, but then they start going to church and they start hearing about all the laws they're supposed to follow, they get the same exact feeling. What did I get myself into? I kind of was having more fun before this. And when I first came to the Lord, I I thought it was all about his love and his grace and what Jesus did for me on the cross. But now I'm feeling like I'm being shoved into this glass case that I can't fit into and I'm done. I'm tired and I'm done. Okay? We understand that. Okay, but don't we use the law when talking with unbelievers or even with believers who are living in disobedience and living unholy lives? Don't we bring up the law and say, you know, that's not God's heart for your life? That's true. We do use the law, but we have to learn the right way to use the law. It's never the solution. It's only the first step. We have to acknowledge that we break the law, and then the law's job is done. It's done. Once we acknowledge, once anyone acknowledges that they have broken the law, the law's job is complete. Now, how many times does Satan try to use the law in your life for much more than that? You say, yes, I've broken the law, and Satan's like, yeah, but did you make up for it? Did you put yourself in time out? Did you... Did you t- say all the Hail Marys and all of the stuff that you should do? Did Satan does that. Jesus says the law is finished at that point. He supplies the righteousness. We'll get into that a little bit later. We do use the law, but we use it the right way. It's to help people know that they need a Savior, that they need a solution for their sin, which is Jesus died on the cross. So we use bad news to make the good news look better. We, we use bad news to make the good news understandable. That's how, how we use the law, okay? Well, guess what? It works, the law. And I can prove it to you. Check out the response of the people right here. They've just been told the law. And what do they say? Verse 19. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. So there, these people have seen that they cannot measure up. That, the, the, the law worked. That was its whole job, to make them feel their inadequacy and their need, that they are insufficient. They are not good enough. You mean I go to church and I'm supposed to feel not good enough? Yes, 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 that is exactly true. Because who is good enough? Jesus is good enough, and he offers you good enough in him, but you can't ever get there if you still think you're good enough. So understanding the law and teaching the law is so vitally important to us as Christians. I'm not antinomian. Antinomian is a big Christian term, theological term, that means against the law. We, we don't even talk about the law. We don't teach the law. Anything about the law is not good for you. And that's not who I am. That's not what we are. The Bible uses the law a ton to show us that we have a great insufficiency and a great need for Jesus. And look what they say here. They say, Moses, can you be our mediator? Can you go between us and God? They want Moses to be their mediator. So what is a mediator? It's someone who speaks to people on behalf of God and who speaks to God on behalf of the people. It's kind of like 
Google Translate. For God. It's, it's a helper. Okay? It's a two-way servant. Not only does they, they want someone to serve, they want, they're asking Moses to serve them. Please serve us by being our mediator. And, and Moses is also going to be the mediator. He is going to be the mediator, sneak preview. And, and God, he's going to be serving God in that. So Moses is serving everybody. Oh my, a lot of work. The people, they feel shame. And, and they feel fear. And they have fireballs flying at their heads. And they think they're going to die. And all they can think about is, I need a mediator. A lot of people in, in church, maybe even today, in our room here, we feel shame and fear in God's presence. And maybe not fireballs flying at your head, but we'll see what happens later in the sermon. church for a lot of people is all about the law and how do you know if it's i mean i could be talking all about god's grace today but all you might be hearing is law and how do i know the how do you feel do you feel fearful do you feel shame do you feel like backing up from god if that's how you're feeling just know that right now you're relating to god based on the law and you're going to be set free today. You don't have to relate to God based on the law. It's a scary thing. And they show us right here, it's a scary thing to try to measure up to a perfect standard. And it's so loving and gracious that God says, that's really not what it's about, but it's about, I'm, I'm going to provide you a mediator. Their desire for was for a mediator. But if we were to just read this text right now, it would seem like God ignores their request for a mediator in this text right here. But the beauty of God's love and grace is sometimes hidden to people who won't look deep enough. So I'm going to, we're going to walk through today a couple things that God has revealed through the whole scripture. But if you're just reading here, you're like, God, he just kind of just ignores their request for a mediator, but that's so not true. So if you would t- look at um, Deuteronomy chapter 18, it's a couple books over to the, uh, the right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, what? Right there. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 17 and 18. In Deuteronomy, it says this, and, and, and this is, Deuteronomy is a retelling of the law. So Moses is writing the book of Deuteronomy to explain to everyone all that happened at Mount Sinai in in a little bit more deeper detail. So we're getting more details about what happened, okay? So he goes back and he says here in Deuteronomy, and the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. And this is specifically about the mediator. And what does God say? He says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak them to them all that I command him. God responds to this very request for a mediator. God responds with an amazing promise And do you know who the prophet is that he's speaking of right here? Right? Ten Jesus points for everyone who said Jesus. Boom. And five. (laughs) He's got a Jesus points. Ten Jesus points. (laughs) How did you know I was going to say ten? Sometimes I give 20. Okay. Well done. Thank you, Elnora. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. God here takes the request of the people. Once, once they felt their need, because the Ten Commandments are like, you're lame and you, you, you can't measure up to God's standard. Once they felt that, they said, oh, we need a mediator. And God's immediate response is, I'll send Jesus. How about that? How wonderful is God in his mercy? As soon as we acknowledge our need, his response is Jesus. 
There you go. He is all that you need. He is the perfect mediator. Uh, if you were to look at 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Specifically, explicitly stated in the New Testament, he is both God and man, serving God and serving man. He's doing both. He can represent one to the other. He can represent God to us because we can't understand God. God is spirit. We're flesh. We can't understand him. So Jesus became flesh so that we could understand what God is like. And then he represents us to God. God is God and we are people. And it's so much further than we could ever imagine. And yet Jesus is able to bear with us in our weakness and come to his father and say, let's do this. Let's provide for them in this way. Jesus is such a wonderful mediator for us, just like we see here in Exodus 20. They called out for a mediator. The answer is Jesus. How cool is that? So reset. God gives the Ten Commandments. The people are scared. They're driven away because they recognize their failure, their weakness, their brokenness. Yet God makes provision for their failures. And it's through what we see next, which is an altar, an altar. It's the very next thing God talks to them about. Look it. You have the law, then you have the altar. Verse 20, back in Exodus chapter 20. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, that you may not sin. You're like, testing? Why would God test them? Well, this is simply a test that revealed their weakness or, or their need for God's grace, God's help, God's rescue, God's Jesus, God's Messiah. Okay? This Ten Commandments, he says, was a test to see, do you understand that you need help? That's what he says right here. That's what they are. Now, verse 21. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Wait a second. Moses was a murderer. Moses was a sinner. How can that type of a person draw near to God? Well, as we've studied, Moses has already come to know God's grace. He has come to trust in God's grace. So yes, Moses was scared too of all these, all God's holiness. Yet, because he had learned about God's grace, his, he was drawn into God's presence. Even though it was where darkness was and it was scary, he didn't know where that was leading and he was a murderer and he didn't deserve it. He had faith. He could trust that God had good intentions for him, that God was on his side, that God had forgiven him. And that's what grace is, understanding grace. That's what it does for you. Instead of backing up like the people, they don't know God's grace yet. All they know is law, the rules. And, and so they're backing up, backing up. But Moses, he's already learned about God's grace, so he is going in closer, entering in by faith to his promised land, to his God. It's like in Ephesians chapter 2, 13. It says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, he, because your sin and shame, right? He has brought near by the blood of Christ. We are, are the Moses in this story, this situation here. We are brought near instead of being afraid of our failure and our past sins, even our present sins. He is inviting us in over and over. So look at verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver, gods of gold. You shall not make for yourself. He's saying, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> He's saying, don't minimize me. Don't explain away my demands or my standards. You can't just say, well, being Christian is about trying your hardest to keep the Ten Commandments. And if you break one of them, just try to explain it away like, uh, they made me do it. Um, that's not really what God meant. Or there's some wiggle room. He's saying, don't 
do that. I am great. I'm holy. You can't remake me from gold or from silver into a God that you would be more comfortable with. I am not someone to be comfortable with in that way. Now, I will love you and adopt you as my child, and then you will have what you could call comfort, but it's really God's, God here saying, don't try to change me, because if you, don't, if you change me, you won't really know me. And he is wanting us to know him. So what do we do? If, we don't, if being a Christian is not about trying your best to keep the Ten Commandments, and, and it's not about changing the Ten Commandments and wiggling room and just trying to hide in the back so nobody sees how bad of a person I really am or, or just try not to shine light on the bad person I really am, if that's not being a Christian, what is being a Christian? And he says here, it's about the altar. It's about the altar. So look, verse 24, an altar of earth you shall make for me and you shall sacrifice on it burnt offering, your peace offerings, your sheep and your, ox, your oxen. So we gave the law, now he gives the altar where they're going to kill animals. The word altar in Hebrew, I love when BK does his little Hebrew words of the day, here's another one for you, is Mizbah. <laughs> I just like trying to say Hebrew in a very Jewish way. Anyway, and, and it's, it comes from the Hebrew word to kill, to kill. And that's what this is talking about, sacrificing or killing. Uh, what happened if they didn't keep the law? And it, What was the penalty if someone broke the law? Death. So that's the, the whole idea of the Ten Commandments is death. Now we move on to the altar. What, what happens at the altar? Death, sacrifice, death. I wonder if those two things are connected. Hmm. Look what he says further. He says, in every name, God says, in every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. Let those words comfort your heart. Let those words minister to you. I, this is my intention. I know I just gave you the Ten Commandments. I know that that's super scary and fireballs are flying at your head. But don't misunderstand me. My whole goal is to come to you and to bless you. That's what church is supposed to be about. I'm going to go to church so that God can come to me and bless me. Not so I can work my way to God and earn blessings from God. I just want to receive what his desire is for me. Now, though, it, we, we learn as we study the law that there was a blessing in keeping the law, but get this, in order to receive the blessing of keeping the law, you had to keep the entire law, or you didn't get the blessing. How crazy is that? What high standard is that? It is very high, because God is very great and very high. Therefore, God gives a different way of being blessed or, or even living like him. It foreshadows the lamb of God. Killing a, a lamb or an ox on this altar foreshadowed Jesus being killed on the cross. He was killed for the sins of the world as, the, as a substitute, okay? Look at verse 25. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone, for if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Then he says in 26, Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. So he's giving them some instructions, and these instructions are amazing. They're so detailed, and it's all about God's grace. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to expound and, and explain what this means. Just look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Again, this altar, he says where you're going to kill animals, and that speaks and represents Jesus, okay? This altar is to be made with stone and not made with human hands. No tools, no effort, 
needs to be put in place to make this altar better looking. It doesn't need to be fancy. And it doesn't need, it cannot be man-made. Why do you think God would put such regulations or directions with this altar? This is, this is really interesting. Well, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, and we see it says here, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. He's saying here, you can't make your own altar. You can only come to his altar. So when an altar is, it's his altar. If anything depends on you, then your flesh could glory in his presence. But God must receive all glory. So this cannot be the way for us to relate to him and to come to him on our efforts, like how good you're doing. To live our lives in our own strength or our own ability or our own efforts or our own sincerity cannot be the way that we approach God. And this altar, just the fact that it was made from hewn stones, teaches us this. It says in verse 30, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, all that you need. Verse 31, that, it, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So there is another way, instead of flesh, instead of building an altar ourselves and making it and, and, and making it fancy and working hard, there's another way, and it's called being in Christ. He becomes all that we need. And what did it say here? Of him you are in Christ. He took you out and he put you inside Christ, which is the safest place in the world. It's the most comfortable place in the world. And it's so easy to get in Christ. You believe. You ask him and believe and you're in. It's that easy. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Jesus is glorified when you decide, I'm going to go in you. I'm going I'm to enter into you by faith. He gets the glory. Instead of you, and look at the altar I made, and look how good I did, and look how much effort I put into being a good person. Instead of all that life, we just run into Christ, Jesus is then glorified. And what does God say every time he sees Jesus? Well, it seems like every time he saw him in the New Testament, he would rip open in his heaven and say, oh my gosh, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. Well, when you're in Christ, that's you. Well pleasing to God. Yeah, but I'm a dork. I'm a goober. I'm an idiot. What, what about all my... God doesn't see that. When you choose to be in Christ, trusting Christ, you are set free of all of that shame. That's why it's all about Him. He gets all the glory, and that's why the gospel works and why it's so free. It gives Jesus the glory, to, and, and He can forgive us, and He can transform us by His grace. So we're doing God's will, by believing the gospel and coming to the altar. You're doing his will when you do those things. Your outward behavior will be transformed by Jesus over time. He says, stop worrying about how good you look. Stop worrying about your own altar. Come to me and meet with me on my altar. The way I say, meet with Christ at the cross. And it's taken care of. God's mercy and God's grace are at the altar and not at the law. You don't find them at the law. 
Where in the law did we see bloodshed and did we see forgiveness? We don't. We see only law, only rules. So the, the great altar is, of course, Calvary. And that's the name of the hill that Jesus died at. And guess what? That hill was made of rocks and earth. It wasn't anything fancy. I've been there. Anyone else been there? To Israel? All right. It's nothing fancy. In fact, there's a bus depot right in front of it right now. And, a, and a, someone built a stone wall on the top. I was so mad as I was looking at that today. Anyway, that altar is nothing fancy. But the Lamb of God was killed there. And he, by his blood, provides all that we ever need. In Titus, the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Our works do not please God. Sinfulness cannot approach, uh, this is a quote I read this week, I don't know where I read it, but it says, sinfulness cannot approach the thrice holy God with anything that his own hands have produced. That's why we can't build the altar. Use uncarved rocks. That's what, that's what the reason for that is. Do you guys remember Cain and Abel? Right? How long did Cain hate his brother? As long as he was Abel, right? <laughs> Well, that story, <laughs> I like that one. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> that story, you know, Cain, you guys remember it, right? Cain was a farmer, and so he, he worked really hard and got all these crops together. And then, you know, he was told he was a sinner, and so God demanded a sacrifice. And, and so even way back then, God was doing this whole sacrifice thing, trying to teach him about Jesus, even way back then. But Cain, he put all this effort in, and he brought this fruit, these, all these gourds and stuff to God. And God was like, it's dumb. And Cain's like, I worked really hard on this. And his brother Abel, he just said, he took a lamb, and he killed it, presented it before God, and God was like, hooray! You did it. You're forgiven. I love it. Good job. Well, which one was easier? Abel's sacrifice, right? But Cain, in his efforts and all that he did, I mean, he did the planting, he was pruning, he was gathering, and he had, I mean, and all of that work did not please God. Now, which one of those are you? When you come before God in the morning, are you coming and you're gathering and saying, look, at what fruit have I, what's in my life? What can I bring to you, God? Look, God, I helped an old lady across the street yesterday. Look, I didn't do this bad thing yesterday. Look, I did do this good thing yesterday. That's Cain, and God stands up and says, stop. Just stop. I'm not interested in that. Whereas Abel, he comes with a lamb, he slits the throat, and the blood pours out, and God says, there you go. Death is what it's all about. Now, it doesn't have to be your death. It can be the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, putting your hope like Abel did in the land of God. And then Cain went and killed his brother, right? God rejects self-efforts, period. God demands that sinners come before him with nothing and humbly ask for undeserved mercy. Does that make you upset? Is that like kind of frustrating just a little bit? But I try harder than those guys over there or those people over there. Hmm, do you? Maybe you do. Still doesn't please God. Well, I can't try any harder. It's not what he ever asked for. He said humbly ask for undeserved mercy, and he promises to give it. Every story we see in the Bible, it's always you humble yourself and God pours out mercy. Abel humbles himself, does the lamb, and God says, I love you, I forgive you, it's wonderful. Every story is the same. God's grace and love is free and limitless and easy as breathing. <gasps> he says this last thing, he says, nor shall you go up by steps to my altar. God did not want them to build stairs. He did not want them to build stairs. Okay, why? Why do you think he did not want them to build stairs? Well, because it would be a bad picture. Instead of demanding that we climb upstairs, 
God comes down to us. Totally different things. Instead of you thinking that there is effort to be put into this, he's saying, no, you come to me, wait upon me, I will come down to you. You don't need stairs. All these details line up with God's grace so perfectly. Do we ever hear in the Bible about God coming down? Oh, absolutely. In the second chapter of Philippians, it describes the gracious descent of Jesus where he says, um, you know, he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant, another step. You know, one step, making himself no reputation, then making himself the form of a servant. Another step, he made himself in the likeness of men. Another step, being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Self-efforts of going up, just say, Jesus, forget you. I don't need any of that. Do we really want to say that? No, we want to embrace what Jesus did for us, but it demands that you say, I can do nothing. Tough, right? Now, look, he says, nor shall you go up to my steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Remember I said we were going to learn where underwear came from? We're going to learn that right now. So look at Exodus chapter 28, verse 40. God has no interest in seeing nakedness of the priests the people who were making sacrifices. Isn't this interesting? I wonder why. Hey, Nathan, what's going on under there? Underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I knew you would do that for me. We didn't even pre- pre-arrange that. That was just bro, bro right there. Exodus 28, verse 40, or 20, yeah, 28, verse 40, sorry. Um, I'm not there. Through 42, it says here, it says, For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make hats for them for their glory, for glory and beauty, and you shall put them on Aaron, on your brother, and on his sons with him, and you shall anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers, that's underwear, to cover their nakedness, for they shall reach, and they shall reach from their waist to their thighs. Okay, so when God invented underwear, he said it goes from here to there, below your knees, right? Your thighs. All right? Bloomers, right? (laughs) Biblical bloomers. That could have been the name of the sermon. (laughs) Biblical bloomers. Also a good band name. Okay, now look at Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 18. Ezekiel 44, verse 18. He says this. They, speaking of the priests again, they shall have linen turbans on their heads and linen trousers on their bodies, and they shall not clothe themselves with anything that causes sweat. All right, so God designed underwear. <laughs> That's fun to wear. <laughs> because these priests, both in in Exodus, which is the, the, the first temple, and in Ezekiel, which is a prophecy of other priests, priests have a job of telling people how, teaching people how to have a relationship with God. And he says, I want you to put underwear on. Okay, that's strange. But nakedness, he says here in Exodus, is something he doesn't want to see. And it says, nakedness is exposed or revealed when you try to climb upstairs. Do you get what's going on there? When you try in your efforts to get closer to God, when you're climbing up those stairs, your, your tunic hikes up a little bit and you're showing that leg, right? And God has no interest in seeing that. You see, our efforts only reveal more of our shame. Our works, and if we have a performance-based religion, performance-based relationship with God where it's all about me, how hard I'm trying. All it does is show 
really your shame. And that's why God invented underwear, is so that we would learn, don't try to put, don't let it cause sweat. When do you sweat? When you're trying hard. Your relationship with God should not be causing you to sweat. It should not be this thing that is so difficult. Gosh, every day I go to church, I read my Bible, and I'm trying so hard. That is wrong. God says it's against his will. He has no interest in that being the type of relationship you have. Now, working for God can sometimes be strenuous. You can serve people till you sweat. That's fine. Sweating's not sin. It's the relationship part that we're talking about here. It's not hard to be a child of God. Who else? When you think of naked in the Bible, who else do you think of? Oh, Noah's a good one, right? We'll, we'll talk about that one later. But uh, um, Adam and Eve is, is the good one, right? What good are, are fig leaves? You guys know the story, right? They're, they're in the garden. They're naked. They feel no shame because they hadn't sinned, right? And, and so, but then they sin, and, and, and so Eve, and they make some fig leaf underwear. And what good is fig leaves when God can see everything? Right? It's not covering their shame like they think it is. In fact, they hear God walking in the garden, and what's their, what do they respond when they hear God walking in the garden? They hide. So they know there's shame, and then their, all their efforts, what good did they do? Because they, weren't, they didn't just walk out and be like, hey, God, look at me. <laughs> they did not do that. They knew they were insufficient. They knew, you know, that the fig leaves were falling off. And how do you make underwear out of fig leaves anyway? It's probably awful, right? Probably so uncomfortable. Did not work. He's saying, why hide if your nakedness is covered, guys? You know, got, you know they, had, um, they had figured that underwear was a thing, but they had no idea how to do it. Now, that was a good pun. You can... Go back and listen to that one if, you're, if you didn't catch it. <laughs> They'd figured that underwear was a thing, but they didn't know how to do it. They thought leaves would be sufficient. Um, but Adam and Eve, see, they didn't have an altar yet. They didn't have an altar. So uh, there was no need for a garden, uh, an altar in Eden. Man was innocent, and they had no shame, so they could walk around naked, and there was no problem They had no fear of God, no hindrance from coming right into his presence and communing with him. In fact, God desired and rejoiced in this relationship he had with Adam and Eve. And it pleased God and it satisfied God. Sin makes the altar necessary. God didn't have to provide an altar, but because he loves man, he did graciously provide an altar. God has revealed his righteousness through the law, through the Ten Commandments, shows us his, his rules. But now at the altar, in the second part of this chapter, he reveals his mercy and grace. So what does this all mean? What does this all mean? Well, with the nakedness and the underwear, it means there's no display of human flesh at the altar of God. We bring nothing to his altar. He provides everything for us, out of his love and out of his mercy, and that's what we call grace. Relationship with God must be by grace. Some think Exodus 20, which we've finished studying now, is all about law and the Ten Commandments. But really, I think we've seen that it's really all about God's grace, isn't it? His sacrifice and his mercy is detailed for us through this law. But notice that we had to kind of take our time and go through all these details with Jesus in mind so that we could see all these wonderful aspects of God's grace, didn't we? It wasn't just flatly apparent when you read it. I mean, you're like, yeah, an altar, but that's just because they were dorks, you know, or whatever. Like we just, we have to dig in sometimes. Many times we hear the law. Maybe we're hearing the law right now and we're broken by the demands of the law. We can be forgiven and restored and, and receive life 
through the death and sacrifice of Jesus at the altar. And that's where we just leave it today. You know, you've all heard the, the Ten Commandments, the commandments, the law. If you haven't, go back and listen to them. Or just read them one time. They're pretty convicting. They work pretty well. So all of us know that that's where we're at. But each day we can have joyful life is our experience in our relationship with God if we approach him based on this altar. With the blood of the sacrifice, like Abel just spread it out, we just spread it all over us. Hey, I come into your presence, God, with the blood of Jesus is on me. I'm in Christ. Isn't that cool? All right, you guys stand with me. We're going to sing a song. During the song, um, <clears throat> we are we got the communion over here, okay? And we'll just we'll just say this is our altar. It's not super fancy. It's a it's a four foot Costco table with a fake piece of black over it, okay? And those are they look gold, but they're actually made of like plastic or something. I don't know, tin or aluminum. I don't know. See, I don't even know. But in, in, at this altar, okay, we're going to call this our altar today, just to be fancy. There's bread and there is um, juice, and this is what Jesus invites us to. He says, come and receive what I've given to you. I'm the Lamb of God, and at the altar, it's for you. All you have to do is come and take it. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to say... I, I am going to give a better effort this week. God says, don't show me your nakedness. Don't show me your shame. You got your Bible bloomers on, right? We're going to believe in what Jesus has done for us alone, not what we are going to commit to this week. I'm telling you, when you come up here, don't say, God, I'm going to give you something this week. Receive what he gives you this week. You guys with me on that? We're going to do that. We're going to rejoice and sing this song and and the words are just going to penetrate into our heart and we're going to love the Lord this week, not out of efforts, but just simply because he loves us first. Amen? Amen. Who's being healed today? Yeah? I am too. I'm passionate about this because I'm being healed daily by his love, not by me trying harder. And it's so wonderful. So guys, let's sing this song. Come up when you're ready to come to the altar. Okay, guys?